I used to just think like, yo, where I'm at ain't shit. But I like the joy of the joy of getting success is about embracing the journey that you're on. Journey for like, sure, man. For me, like I, 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 I'm when I look back at all I've done, you know, especially you know, even the stuff that I did in Philly. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm just like, yo, like, like my my resume is kind of like up there. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like, like I didn't make it by accident or I, I'm not where I am by accident. The Ebony piece was the first piece I actually read of Corey's in its entirety. I recall its rarity, his ability to be so genuine, so vulnerable in such a personal piece through such a major outlet. That stuck out to me. Flash forward to the weekend before my birthday this year. I was turning 26 that Monday, and this was my first birthday officially living in New York City. Although I'm uptown, directly next to the Hudson, I already made up my mind to go to Kinfolk in Brooklyn. A few friends and I were there last for Badu's listening party. Still one of my favorite nights to date in New York. More than a few drinks later, coupled with an equal amount of save the last dance dips to the floor and I was ready to use the bathroom. As my friend and I impatiently waited in line, I saw someone who looked like Corinne. Probably somewhat yelling over the music, I tell him how much I love his work. We quickly talk about Twitter and my line sister Lauren while my friend steps in to add hey, Alexis has a podcast. You should listen to it. Months later, plus a tweet from Modi, and here we are today. Hey y'all, I'm Alexis, and welcome to the First Year Project, a podcast highlighting the good, the bad, and the integral aspects of the first year experience. This week, we have Corey Towns on First Year Project, talking about his first experience as a music writer, his ever-evolving relationship with his father, DJ Jazzy Jeff, moments of vulnerability living in New York City, and the lessons he's learned on his journey. Make sure to check out firstyearproject.com this week for visuals and a link to our survey. If you haven't already done so, definitely all take the survey. Please make sure to complete it. It really helps to know our audience a little bit better, and it also helps to support the show and to keep it going. Stay tuned. So what's going on, Corey? Uh, life is good. Life is very well. Uh, we finally gotten over, I guess, 80 degrees yes. consistently. Um, it kind of feels like oppressive heat, though. I like I it have is muggy. It. it is muggy. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, I think that's East Coast heat, though, <clears throat> as a whole, you know, like Philly, New York. You know, I can imagine Boston like it's very muggy, very yes, it's humid. clammy on your skin type of heat but i mean you know on your skin we can wear shorts now you know let your ankles out exactly it's not freezing it's not it's not freezing no more it was it was cold for a long time for a very very long time Um, a very long time but but yeah life is life is good very dope first and foremost what do you do and why do you do it (sighs) um well i mean i guess you know I, i i guess i can say i'm a writer um i'm a music writer i write about music um, and why why do I do it? Uh, it's fulfilling. Um, you know, I, I kind of 
stumbled upon writing, I guess. Um, you know, I always had a lot of things to say. I always kind of had a, a, an opinion. And I guess learning that people took my opinion to heart or, you know, were really interested in my opinion. Um, I guess I was always good at writing as a kid. So, you know, it was one of those things like, oh, I'm going to try to write. And, you know, it's kind of like the bridge version. I'm pretty sure we're going to get in like the longer version of kind of like how I started writing and stuff like that. But, um, sure. but yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was one of those things where, you know, I tried it and, you know, I liked it and, you know, I was just like, all right, this is cool. And I did it. I did it for free a lot, <laughs> um, you know, when I first started out and then it got to the point where, you know, I actually got paid for it and I was just like, all right, I can kind of make money doing this. Like, Amen. Um, you could like pay, <laughs> you know, like yeah. supplemental income and stuff. And then it kind of became, you know, primary, primary income. Um, and now it's just like, all right, I don't really have a nine to five job, but I'm doing all right with myself. And, you know, it's like probably the first time in my life that I I haven't had like an actual like gig, go to somebody's office, have a boss and things like that. And um, how does that feel? Honestly, it's scary. Um, it's very, very, it's, it's very scary just because, I mean, you know, we're, we're kind of taught that that's what we have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or at the very least we're taught that that's the safe thing to do. You know, it's, it's great to, you know, work out of an office and it's great to, you know, have direction from someone and it's great to have benefits and lunch breaks and water cooler talk and stuff like that. But, you know, when you don't have that, you're just kind of like, all right. Like for me, you know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I, I left my, my last job and I was just like, all right. I could either A, get right back on the hustle as far as trying to find something else, or I can kind of use this time to kind of build myself out as a brand and, you know, kind of build my, my, my own self out. It's like my opinions and thoughts on things and stuff and really kind of see if I like put the responsibility in my hands. You know, if, mm-hmm. if I wake up and I miss a check today, it's on me and no one else. Um, you know, if if an opportunity falls in my lap, you know, it's up to me if I want to take it or not. Basically becoming like your own boss. Um, you know, but I mean, it's scary. You know, it's one of those things where it's kind of just like, all right, you're, you know, you're looking for the next op, the next opportunity, um, the next check, next, ne- the next check. Um, and, you know, you're trying to like, you know, finagle and make sure you can get it how you can. And, you know, when it's when it's kind of rocky it's scary you know it's when you're hitting that coast and you know you're doing 76 on the highway of life with on cruise control i mean it's pretty fun 76 on the highway shout out to i-76 all my east coast people (laughs) you already know what it is (laughs) what was your family upbringing like and like how has it influenced your work um it's been a very very huge it's been a very very huge influence on my work um i definitely grew up in an environment that is not like many people from you know not only my neighborhood of southwest philadelphia but my city um i didn't necessarily have a a i guess a uh what's it called nuclear household you know like mom dad whatever whatever like yeah and it's in a sense i kind of had two dads and a mom um you know my mother you know married uh, after, you know, like my mother and father, like kind of, like didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, they co-parented and stuff like that. And then they, they did a great job of making it work. And then, you know, my mom married my stepfather and kind of raised me in like this, like, 
trio of of discipline and you know saying stuff like that. But I mean, it was dope because you know both of my fathers um, were in music, and essentially my mom too. So like you know my 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 father's DJ Jazzy Jeff of um, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Uh, first act to win a, a rap Grammy. He's been on television. He's the best DJ in the world, best DJ ever. Um, and my my stepfather, uh, Mark Byers, uh, served as a consultant, a music manager. Um, just like you know, a guy with with the word, you know, like you know, kind of growing up on his end, you know, he managed everyone from Eve, Beanie Siegel. Uh, Shout out to Eve. Yeah, Eve, Beanie Siegel, <laughs> Philly's Most Wanted, uh, Freeway. Um, basically, any and everyone who came out of Philadelphia, like he kind of had parts in. That's and dope. my mom was a rapper. <laughs> Wait, she I was ran- an actual rapper? <laughs> my mom was a rapper. Um, I, kn- I knew that traditionally she was an educator, correct? Yeah, she, she was a teacher. Um, she taught at my school. Shout out to Ivy Leaf. Private school um, does not in existence anymore. It was the, actually the oldest African-American private school in the country. Wow. Um, shout out to the Greens. I'm giving. I'm going to give mad shout outs throughout this entire shout episode. Outs so, shout outs. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, she was a teacher, but my mom met my father. My mom was a rapper. Her name was Spicy. Tea. Spicy tea. Spicy tea from Southwest Philly. Um, and yeah, you know, my mom met my dad at a party in, in Philly. And this is they, so dope. They started like dating and stuff. And, you know, I happened. I feel like you can never, <laughs> like, I don't even know if you can meet someone like at a party anywhere and just be like, oh, yeah, we're going to date and start a family. <laughs> I mean, the, fun, the funny thing was, was that, um, you know, like, you know, my dad was a prominent DJ at the time. Um, and I want to say my mom met my father before my father met Will. Okay. And how, I guess like how Will and my dad met was very, I guess like serendipitous or whatever. My, my dad was a DJ. Um, you know, they used to have like big parties and like the high, like the big high school gyms. And I want to say it was a party at central high school back in Philadelphia, which is like one of the bigger schools and like bigger gyms or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Will's. Will was supposed to perform. Will's DJ didn't show up. So like Will's kind of like, yo, what am I going to do? Like, you know, this guy didn't show up or whatever like that. And he's like, yo, well, you know, the, the Jazzy Jeff kid is here. And like, they was just like, all right, you want to kind of like rock out? And he's just like, all right, cool. And the rest was like history. But um, my mom used to rap with my dad and Will. And uh, it got to the point where she was about 18. She was accepted into Lincoln University of Pennsylvania. And, you know, she had a choice. She was like, do you want to go to Lincoln and get your education? Or yeah. do you kind of want to see what his rap thing goes? And she chose Lincoln. Um, I was born in 87, her sophomore year. Uh, I'm a Lincoln University baby. I went to Lincoln University myself. Um, that's kind of like how I have. That's special. <laughs> so a lot of the work that you also do represents Philly or is work that's like actually in Philly, but mm-hmm. but, but you live in New York. Mm-hmm. So like, what would you say is the is the true essence of Philadelphia? And then why why aren't you there? Um. Well, to answer to answer your first question, uh, if I can describe what the essence of Philadelphia is, I'll probably say if it was in one word, I'll probably say pride. <laughs> Philly is a very prideful town. Um, we're a very prideful people. Um, we don't take any mess from anyone. We're a very passionate town. You know, we, we, we sniff out BS very easily. Um, you know, like 
you know, I've always heard, I always like to say that kind of like, especially Philadelphia, like whoever it is, like if you're dating someone, like a Philly person is probably the best person to date. Why? We'll call you out on your BS. We'll always be real with you. We're very, we're very loyal people. Um, you know, loyalty is something that kind of means a lot to us. So like if we realize somebody is kind of like holding us down, like we're as equally as 10 toes down as, you know, they will be. And it's just like, you know, like, you, I guess to kind of ask why I'm not there. Philly's also a place that, as far as the positives, that all of the positives that it has, it had like some negatives, mm-hmm. um, especially like culturally. I kind of felt that, and I've, you know, even in talking to my father and my stepfather, um, going back to what you asked me, how does it kind of affect me, like kind of growing up and like working and like doing what I do now? Philly's always kind of had a crab in a barrel mentality. Um, you know, if, if somebody was making it out, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot easier. It, w- it would be a lot easier for people to be like, oh, I don't like that. Or, oh, like, you know, I have my hate on them or I'm going to do this. Or I'm going to do that or so on and so forth. Rather than just being like, yo, these guys are putting on for the city. These guys are doing this, that, and the third. Um, let's support them and let's kind of get behind them. And, you know, for me kind of growing up in the, I guess, around 2008, now nine twenty ten, you know where I kind of started to find myself creatively. Um, you know, I kind of realized that there was a glass ceiling on Philly. Mm. Um, I truly believe, and I definitely believe this now. If you can make it in Philadelphia, you can make it anywhere. Um, just Why because people don't like I said, we're, we're quick to call BS. I don't know if you can curse on the show, but we're quick to call. You can curse okay, okay, motherfucker. <laughs> um, no, nah, I mean we're we're quick to call bullshit, and you know if, if something is trash, we'll will let you know that mm-hmm. and you know you won't kind of get that support if, if it isn't good so I mean if you kind of make your way to a point where you're actually being successful in Philadelphia I think you can go anywhere in this world and be successful and for me um, you know having a father having a father that I you know I literally could see every Monday night at 8 o'clock on NBC mm-hmm. you know and you know, seeing him travel the world and doing what he does as a passion and then having a stepfather who would kind of teach me the inner workings, like the business aspect of that. And, you know, kind of saying like, you know, everything that all that glitters isn't gold in the sense, but kind of telling me like, yo, if you want to get to a certain point, you have to really work for it. You know, it taught me that there was a world way bigger than Philadelphia. And I want to say the summer of 2012 was very pivotal for me because that's when I realized like, all right, I want to get out of here, the city. And I think New York is probably the, the, at least the first place I wanted to go. So I worked, you know, from 2012 to about 2014 and just kind of, you know, things, you know, by the grace of God, um, things were kind of put in my life and in my path, you know, some, you know, some pitfalls, you know, it wasn't an easy road, a straight shot. Um, but then it landed me here and I haven't been left. I haven't left since. So how did you actually start writing? As in like, I'm taking this, I, this it's a hobby for me, but now I'm taking <laughs> it a, a, a little bit more seriously. How I got into writing was um, the first Made in America. Uh, what year was that? 20, 20, 2013? This past year was what, the third? Yeah. So yeah, I, th- I think about 20, 2013. So 2013. So Made in America 2013, um, my stepfather, has an, like a like a welcome lunch thing for like you know writers and you know people in the music industry and stuff like that. So he has this he has this like lunch. He invites tells me to come 
come down or whatever. So I sit, you know, I sit down at the table and I sit next to this guy. It's cool. It's cool. Uh, it's cool. Asian cat. <laughs> so, you know, we're talking and stuff and, you know, he's like, yo, it's like, yo man, it's like, you know, what do you do? Like, what do you do to get invited here? And I'm just like, oh, you know, I do like video interviews and I do so on and so forth. And he's like, oh, word. Um, he's like, I'm an editor. I'm like, oh, all right, nice. Like, where, like, where, where do you like work at? He's like, I work for Vibe Magazine. And I was like, oh shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm a, like, it was like a match made in heaven. I'm like, okay, like, I'm a writer. You're an editor. Like, this can be a thing. So, like, we exchanged information. And um, it was my good friend, Mike, Mikey Fresh. Um, and that was what, August? We exchanged information. I don't hear from Mike. Mike emails me February of the following year. Jesus he's Christ, like, Mike. He's, he's like, he's like, he's like, yo, man, he's like, I hope all is well with you. Um, I might have an opportunity for you if you're interested. So he's like, you know, you know, Vibe is supposed to cover uh, this Red Bull DJ battle that's happening in Philly. Mm-hmm. And we can't send someone down. He was like, would you want to go and cover for Vibe? He was like, we, you know, they have hotel service there. Um, you know, you get like priority, you know, press access and whatever, like, you know, whatever you need, like, but you can do it for us. So I'm looking, I'm like, yo, this is a crazy opportunity. I'm like, all right, cool. Like, what do I have to do? So he's like, essentially, you have to just go cover the event, like write about what you think about it. You have to interview the judges. So the judges were DJ A-Track um, from Fool's Gold, uh, world famous, like, I don't even want to call him a house DJ, like just world famous, you know, DJ Z-Trip and Jazzy Jeff. So Did he, he not realize that? So he tells me this. So he tells me this. And I'm just like... I was like, all right, I know we never talked about it like at the at the dinner, but like, you know who my dad is, right? You kind of look like him. <laughs> Thank you. The funny thing is I told my roommate this earlier. I saw a picture of me and my dad like right above each other today. Yeah. And I was like, yo, I really look like him. He was like, bro, you like your dad all the time. Yeah. He was like, you don't look like your mom at all. He was like, you look like your father all the time. Sometimes I see it, sometimes I don't. So I'm like, so I talked to Mike. I'm like, yo, man, like, you know who my dad is, right? And he's like, nah. And I'm just like, my dad's Jazzy Jeff. He loses it. He's like, what? Are you serious? Bro, Oh, we this we need this we need this interview are you gonna take it and i'm so, just like wait, wait, all right cool so is, is that not something that you mentioned a lot like in terms of you not writing really not at all why is that um i learned at a very early age that all it takes is for someone to not give a shit if i can go back in the middle of the story of kind of how I got on with writing. I was about, I was in first grade. I'll never forget this. There was a girl in my class by the name of Jarita Falks. Jarita. Jarita was fine. If I didn't, if I knew what fine was in first grade, Jarita was it. Got it. Like she was fine. Like F-A-H-N. There we go. I remember just talking to her and I remember, you know, just being a kid, like, hey, I like you. And she's like, I don't like you. Damn. And I was just like, well, my dad's Jazzy Jeff. <laughs> like, I, I went for the gold. I, I went, I went, oh, I, psh, I went for the gold. I went straight Hail Mary. Like, like, forget all of the other shit. Like, I'm going for it. Yes. I'm like, my dad's Jazzy Jeff. My dad's famous. She's like, I don't care. <sighs> it completely changed my life. That one moment changed my entire life. I was like, yo, like, I was like, shit. All right, well, <laughs> what else? What am I going to work on now? Like, what's my angle now? Uh-huh. And and from that moment, um, yeah, like, it made me really just want to be like, all right, like, I'm not going to be the guy to tell people who my dad is. And at first it was, it was 
for social purposes. Um, because I definitely remember kind of like seeing as I've got, as I got older, I remember seeing how people's perspective of me changed yeah. when they found that out. Like I remember when I went to college, I went to Lincoln, um, and you know, Lincoln was, is, is 45 minutes away from Philly, but like it has pockets of people from Philly, New York, Jersey, Baltimore, uh, like, well, I guess like the DMV area, um, you know, now it's, it's expanded. So it has people from other parts of the country, but like, I remember we have a week, like, you know, basically freshman orientation week, we call it transition week. And I remember I got there on Sunday by Thursday, the entire freshman class knew that at the, at the very least they knew who Jazzy they knew Jazzy Jeff's son was a student there. How was it navigating through college, like having folks? I mean, have a certain perception of you from. Jazz? I mean, it was. It was it, I, I think that's when I really started to learn how to balance it because I remember like okay, people knew that his son went there. They may not have known it was me. Like yeah. I remember like some of the some of the guys who I kind of like clicked up with early. I kind of like told them, um, but I remember actually when the upperclassmen came back. You know, as an eighteen year old, you're like. You know, upperclassmen are like full of grown adults and they're only like three years older than you. It's like gold. Yeah, I'm like, yo, like they're like grown and shit. They got like cars and can have apartments and all this other. So I remember being with some of them and I remember kind of being invited to like a room party that guys who will later end up becoming my line brothers um, invited me to. And Jazzy Jeff's son became topic of the conversation. <laughs> they were like, were n- like my the, my homies who I came with knew it was me. Got it. But they're like, yo, like I heard Jazzy Jeff's son goes here, and they start making a whole bunch of shit up. Like, yo, I heard his dad dropped him off in a Bentley, <laughs> and like, yo, he probably got mad money and mad clothes, and da da da. And then like the girls would be like, oh, I'm gonna make him my little freshman thing. He gonna be buying me mad food from like freshman the calf, like da da da. And like the whole time, my homies are looking at me like yo are you gonna say something and I'm just like nah I'm not like I'm gonna wait I was like I'm, I was like, I'm not even gonna wait I'm just not gonna say anything uh-huh. and then when they find out that it was me they're gonna be like shit and that's exactly what happened so like for me you know it was one of those things where perception about me kind of traveled farther at, you know, farther than I did, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, I had the opportunity of, of joining a prestigious organization um, in Cap Alpha Psi. I became a cap in my sophomore year. So like at first it was, oh, yeah, that's Jazzy Jeff's son. Then it was, oh, yeah, that's Jazzy Jeff's son, the Kappa. The new. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? So they're like, you know, like it, for a while it was never just Corey. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it, it bothered me, but it really didn't. Um, but it wasn't until I started writing and stuff like that, that my work kind of started to transcend through all of that. And I just started becoming like Corey Towns, who is a Kappa, who also is Jazzy Jeff's son. And like, that kind of helped me with the vibe assignment. You know, I, I go to the, I go to the event, you know, I call my dad and tell him like, yo, I'm going to be interviewing you for vibe. And up until that point, I may have done about maybe 20 or 30 interviews and at that point, my, my, my video interview, I guess, like, catalog was extensive. Um, Schoolboy Q. This is on CoreyTowns.com? It is on CoreyTowns.com. Um, Schoolboy Q, Big Crit. I was the first person in Philly to interview Kendrick. And I, that's something I hold dear, like, to my heart. That's that, like, special, man. I had a chance to do that. Um, Even Crit. I'm actually a huge Crit fan. Oh, yeah. And Crit, Crit, man, that was my dog, man. Like, that was a very, very good interview. But I had, like, interviews and stuff. But, like, people always ask, like, have you ever interviewed your dad? And I'm just like, no. So I was like, okay, for this to be my first time interviewing him, yeah. this is dope. How and, old like, were you? 20. 
24, 25. Wow. So like, you know, like I remember, and it was, it was a very funny interview. Like I was just like, look, I don't know whether to call you Jeff or dad or, you know what I'm saying? You know, but we, you know, we, we did it as interviewer, interviewee. And at the end, you know, it was very like, you know, I love you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know, I'm, we're still remain professional and shit. You know, my dad's a jokester. Like people always ask, is my dad as funny in real life as he was on the show? And I think he's, he's actually probably funnier. It was a very, very, it was a very unique first writing experience for me. Um, or my first ever, like, I guess, real writing job. And I remember just, I remember the, the feeling that I had when I saw my name in a byline. Um, it was very, I don't know. Like, I guess I've, I've always, or my mentality when I work is like to, to not necessarily aiming for like one shot, but like, you know, what like, do you mean by that? Not aiming for one shot as far as just like, you know, like I kind of work under the perspective, like, okay, like if I get, if I get a chance, I'm gonna make the best of that chance. If I get an opportunity, I'm gonna make the best of that opportunity. And for a long, long time. And I would say even upwards to maybe about six months, six months to a year ago, um, I had the mentality of, I had the mentality of, of like, I'm very happy to be here. You know, like I, I was under the mentality of like, you know, everything that has been happening to me, um, granted very much blessings, you know, put in my life, but like, you know, I was in the right place at the right time or, you know, the right opportunity fell into my lap. And what I realized, and I realized this, um, talking to a good friend of mine in a later interview, not too long ago, um, with a friend of mine who graduated from Harvard Law, um, by the name of John Wall. Very dope. You know he has a he has an episode on the podcast. John Wall has an episode here. Yes. See, okay. See, good so people. You got it. You got to go good back people, and Good to people. Good people. Good people. First year. Project. First year project. First year project. <laughs> now, I mean, I had a I, had, I interviewed John. Um, funny enough, and it kind of came from a series of tweets when Sarah Jessica Parker was named like the Harvard commencement, Harvard Law commencement speaker. speaker yes, and, like, I remember. And you know, John, if you follow John on Twitter, like he always talks about, like, he's his tweets turn into like epic rants. But like these tweets, I was like, yo, it'd be funny if I interviewed him. And that interview turned into like some funny shit to like like some real like real life conversations like oh, just wow. kind of just like you know like as a black man coming from North Carolina like to make it through Morehouse and then to go on to Harvard um I forgot the exact term he called it but it's kind of like I want to say survivor syndrome or something like that yeah where it's basically like we're ingrained to think that we don't belong in a place the actual term is um not survivor syndrome it's something like that though imposter syndrome there you go imposter syndrome um so i used to live with like imposter syndrome um upwards to you know probably about six months to a year ago but i remember like seeing my name in a byline on in in vibe.com was kind of like my first like whoa like i can really like do this like this is this can really happen for me imposter syndrome comes from a space of like did I get it because of what I can do or did I get it because of who I am? So like, that's what, kind of where my, my imposter syndrome came from. Like for me, it was one of those things where if I can kind of make like related to a feeling, I kind of always kept waiting for the rug to get pulled out from under me, which is like a very, very scary like thought to have. Cause it's kind of just like, yo, like, all right, the jig is up. Yeah. They kind of know me for who 
I quote unquote really am. Like, what do I do now? Like, you know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. How do you get through that? Tom. I mean, just from my experience, like, like I definitely realized, uh, I realized that at a, I guess at an early age, the importance and the significance of what like your quarter life crisis is quarter life crisis. And I, I think that's something that especially millennials go through, but it isn't something that's like defined. Like it isn't something that is as defined and renowned and, 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 and referred to like your midlife crisis is, mm-hmm. you know, everybody wants to talk about midlife crisis. Like, yo, like he don't know what he's going to do for the next half of his life or next half of her life. Whereas like the quarter life crisis now it hits you harder because I found myself, like I said earlier that 2012, 2012 was probably like the year for me that like everything changed because it's when I found myself creatively, um, is when I kind of started to see that I could kind of do something or I wanted to do something kind of creative. Like I didn't want to quote, have a quote unquote normal job. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, okay, what's something that I'm good at? Like that summer, I remember that summer. I remember I spent it at my grandparents' house in Southwest Philadelphia. Um, the house I grew up in, they didn't have TV. They didn't have cable. So I spent every day, all day watching Maestro Nose videos. I'm sorry, what? What? Maestro Nose? Maestro Nose. So, so my, I, I, there's, there's a few, there's few people that I kind of, there's a, there's a few people in this world that I kind of consider like a mentor or like an OG to me or something like that. And there's few people that I kind of consider like inspirations. So like people who I would consider like, like mentors or OGs to me will obviously be like my father and my stepfather. Um, Marcus Troy, uh, who is just an amazing creative, you know, like, like he kind of set me on the track from afar at first, at least of what it's like to connect brands together and what it's like to be a black man in that space. Okay. Um, Anthony Gilbert, who is a, an amazing writer. Um, you know, he's, he's, you know, he writes about sports and basketball. Um, at one point in time he worked for Nike, um, and he's also a Kappa. So like he, for, for me, you know, kind of, and I'm pretty sure you can kind of relate, like coming into, you know, the Greek world, you know, they always, you know, preach that, you know, you're going to find brothers and sisters of all walks of life. Yes. And for me, like, you know, with Kappa, <clears throat> with Kappa's motto being, you know, honorable achievement in every field of human endeavor, like Anthony, or as a lot of people call him AG, AG kind of showed me that he put an emphasis on the every field part. Cause I would go to like chapter meetings and stuff and like for alumni chapters and see like, you know, brothers that are doctors and lawyers and this, this and the third. But then I saw AG mm-hmm. who is interviewing Kobe and is writing about sneakers and is he interviewed like my dad. So, you know so he's really like getting it like in every like, space. Just, just, just and I'm just like, yo, like this myself. dude is like, and I remember, I remember finding out about him. Like he was writing for a magazine at the time called Soul Collector. Um, and to, to date this, I remember like he interviewed my dad for Soul Collector because my dad is a huge sneakerhead, um, or at least he was. Like he still has his pairs and stuff like that. But like, I remember seeing AG interviewed him, and like I went to his MySpace page. 
looking at pictures and stuff. And I'm just like, yo, like, yo, this dude's dope, man. He's from Philly and he's doing this. He's writing for this magazine. He's in the sneaks and meeting all these people. And then I see a picture where he's, you know, he has a KSI shirt on. And I'm just like, yo, he's a Kappa. And I remember being (laughs) interested at the time. I'm just like, Kappas can do that? Like, Kappas can do, like, sometimes you literally have to see You have to see, you literally have to see And I'm just like, Kappas can do that? Like, yo, this shit is crazy. And, you know, I, I later, you know, I later pledged and, you know, became a member and I ended up meeting AG and, you know, like he went to Temple. Uh, I went to Lincoln, both of our schools, you know, both of our chapters are single other chapters. So like, you know, we're close in proximity. Um, and like he, you know, he took me under his wing and uh, he's somebody I consider that, but like Maestro Knows is a, was a, was a viral TV show, um, to kind of balance it. So like, I consider those guys like my like mentors. Mm-hmm. Maestro Knows was a show ran by this guy. It's a, a young white kid by the name of Levi Maestro. I want to say he's from Vegas. And basically the show, all it was was him going out with like his, I don't even want to say his famous friends. Like it was, it would just start, like the show started with him kind of like kicking it with his homies who actually, who just end up doing cool shit. Okay. So like, like one of his homies was BJ Chicago Kid. And like dope music, man. That's like his. That's like his dog. Yeah. And like he's like, yo, all right, I'm going. I'm going to tour with you. And like that would be a, that would be the episode. Like it would be a series of episodes of him on tour. Or like he was cool with a rapper by the name of Curtains, and like they would just like go do cool shit. But then as the series grew, he would start doing things with more and more cool people. So like he followed Vashti Cola around mm-hmm. when she was like designing her Jordan. Um, he went to you know England, England uh, was England, i.e. the England Empire, California to meet Hit Boy, like excuse me, where like you know they discussed him making like you know Christmas in Harlem and uh, niggas in Paris and shit like that. So yeah. like it basically showed me the importance. It basically showed me the importance one, but like how cool like cool lifestyle content was. Yeah, like I'm just like yo, like all he's really doing is being himself traveling around meeting like with his people going to get food and like t- doing all this cool shit and i'm like yo like this is the coolest shit in the world and it's authentic it's, it's, it, it's it was genuine. it was very genuine it was very organic like it wasn't like it didn't seem like no fake shit and i was just like this is a possibility for someone to do this like almost like you know like you can do this too and like for me like i grew up in a time i grew up in a time where i was like I was a very, I'm a very musical person, right? Like if I like somebody, I like somebody. Like I'm probably one of the biggest Pharrell and Neptune fans in the world. Yeah. Like I like, there's very few people, there are very few people in the world that like I would consider myself, especially now that I would like fan out over if I met them. Mm-hmm. One of them's Pharrell. I remember I met Jay-Z before. I met Jay-Z a couple of times. The first time I met Jay-Z, I had like that fan moment, but yeah. like this was me at 18. I'm almost 30 years old. If I met Pharrell right now, spazzing out. I would spaz out. I wouldn't know what to say. And that's okay. And I'm just like, you know, like, you know, I wouldn't know what to say. Like I'll even, I'll even kind of share this story with you. Um, so through the power of Twitter, um, I kind of connected with this guy from, from like outside of LA. Uh, his name's Niles. And we kind of like connected because we were both like on like some like music shit. Like, yo, like we both like music and whatever, whatever. So he's like, yo, you like, you really fuck with the Neptunes too, huh? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, man, it's dope. He's like, yo, like, I've been wanting to like put together this series. And I was like, what kind of, what is it? He was just like, 
basically like chronicling like the entire Neptune's discography. He was like, I'm good at like finding music, like not just like, not just like the shit that you can easily get, but exactly. like, like the secret shit, hidden shit, or whatever. And I was like, yo, that'd be dope. Like I was like, I kind of knew like on at least on social media, I had like a little bit of a following or whatever. And like he's just like, yo, I found almost twelve thousand Neptune songs. So okay, uh, how? I, to this day, I don't know. Um, <laughs> to this day, I do not know. But he's like, I found over 12,000 songs. And we came out with this series called The Other Side of the Planet. Um, Corey Towns. And uh, he had a website by the name of C.S. No Wheaties. I've seen it on your website. The, the, so it like was on the website. Volumes. It was It was a 12-volume series, 100, and, 100 songs each. Wow. Um, of basically chronicling the entire Neptune's discography. So everything from actual songs that they did, demos they cut for people, um, international releases, movie scores, you know, stuff that they have done with like, like stuff Chad did with, you know, Kenna back in the day uh-huh. by himself, um, jingles, instrumentals, acapellas, samples, a whole nine. Where can people find this stuff? <laughs> Sadly enough, um, because I, I definitely, once again, like kind of like my relationship with me and Gianni, I was definitely, I was, you know, creative as well, but I'm more like the, like business guy. Yeah. Niles was a straight creative. Yeah. He got rid of the website. So if you don't have it, it's probably nowhere you can find it now. Good God, Niles. <laughs> I mean, but you know what? I, 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 I kind of, in a way, I kind of fuck with it because it's kind of just like, if you got it, you got it. And I remember people just being like, yo, like, this shit is like eight gigs long or eight gigs big. And I'm just like, yeah, man, like, but people who have it, like I, I actually had someone like DM me recently, like, yo, can you like somehow send this to me? And he's like, I found it in an old like zip drive I had. Yeah. He was like, dog, I'm so happy I have this music. And I remember, I remember in 20, like 2012, around the time that I got my first writing gig for, uh, for, for vibe, I was sitting on the couch with my then girlfriend and I got a notification on my phone and it said Pharrell followed you. And I looked at it and I yes. looked at it and I was Lord. like, I was like, I was like, wait a minute. I was like, okay. So I saw it and I remember I, I looked, put my phone up. I saw it and I put my phone back down, picked my phone up again. I looked at it and I showed my girlfriend and she's just like, oh my God. She knew how much I like fucking love like Pharrell and shit. Yeah. She's like, oh my God. And I'm just like, nah, this is a mistake. <laughs> Wait, I so go to the page. You thought he accidentally clicked the follow button. I go. I go to the page, <laughs> and it said it was like because I'm like this is like a fake account, like a parody account, whatever like that. True. And it was his real page, and I'm just like, nah. So I go to the computer, check it on the computer. Shit still happens. So I'm like, I'm literally freaking out in the living room like you know she's like she's doing the girlfriend thing yay babe I'm so proud of you uh-huh. like ah and I'm just like oh my god like, what do I do like what is this shit like what is this real like whatever whatever and I remember he DM'd me and was like yo I saw what you did I saw pause, what you and your pause, homie pause, did pause pause he as in Pharrell as far as either him or whoever does the social media man you got a hell of a social media manager he was like I saw what you, I saw like the Neptune's thing you did. She was really dope. And I freaked out. I was like, yo, <laughs> like this shit is crazy. Like, like I literally freaked out. And it was just, it, you know, it was one of those moments where like, well, again, it was kind of just like, 
you know, like, and I, I'm not necessarily, a, I'm not, I'm not a religious person. I'm a faithful person. What do you mean by that? I think I know what you mean, but like, like, like I, 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 you know, criticize me all you want. I don't go to church, um, but I very much believe in God. Like mm-hmm. I came up as a Baptist Christian. Um, you know, I pray. You know, I try to pray more, especially now. You have a personal relationship. Um, yeah, I, I definitely have a personal relationship with God. And I, I definitely feel that there have been certain things in my life and I guess in my career that have kind of pushed me to let me know, like, I'm going on the right track and shit. And I think that was one of them. Like, it was one of those things where, like, you know, you do things, whether it's writing or whether it's, you know, creating a mixtape series or just whatever. Cause like, I even remember like I did it and it got some traction, but it wasn't like, holy shit on every major publication on the internet. Like, Mm. you know, like I remember, and it's funny enough, you know, I I always kind of, I kind of balanced my career, you know, pre New York and post New York. (laughs) Whereas like, I remember when I was doing like the video stuff, um, there'd be times that I would get sent emails uh, that didn't have a BCC on it, but it had mad people's emails. Like I'm talking like, excuse me, like some of the top bloggers and writers and Mm -hmm. editors and shit. I would literally comb every single one of those emails for a a website or someone that I think that could be of use. Yeah. And keep it for personal records. Mm-hmm. Like, so someone else's fuck up would be my come up. Someone like, else is seriously <laughs> fucking up, man. Someone else's come up. Someone else's fuck up would be my come up. And like, you know, I, I'm definitely a firm believer of like, you know, some things happen within time. And, you know, I, you know, I think we as people, because we're so, we're so, we're so ready to be successful. Like, we're so like, Yo, I gotta get this shit. I gotta get this shit now. Like, even now, like I'm 29, and like, you know, I'm knocking on 30s door, and like, part of me is just like, fuck, I, there's so much shit I gotta do, man. Like, yeah, I'm not about to be in my 20s no more and shit. But then it's like, we everyone has that in any age, and I really think that you know, I think the timing is like everything, and sometimes it's like, yo, this is my one shot to do it, and we're like, we're, we're ingrained to have that feeling, but it, it's really not the case, like. I remember for me coming up, doing the writing thing, you know, in the beginning and, you know, doing the, uh, doing like the video interview things. Like I would see these people who I consider like the industry, like standards, you know what I'm saying? I would see people like, like Ashley Outrageous, you know what I'm saying? Who had a crazy blog back in the day. I would see, you know, people like the, the guys from the Madbury Club that like, they were the shit. Like as far as like these guys were a bunch of homies who just had a cool aesthetic and they were cool within themselves. Like they're not cool for other people. Like they're cool for themselves and, and brands fucked with them enough to put not only product in a brand name, but bank money behind them and be like, yo, we think y'all are cool. We think y'all can make our shit look cool. Here's our shit. Here's money to do it. Do what y'all want. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I remember for me growing or for me coming up two dope boys.com was my favorite website. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the names and I hope he listens to this when this shit comes out. One of the names that I found in that email list was uh, Mecca, um, the the one half of two dope boys. Uh-huh. And I found his email and I remember I would just send him like 
my video interviews. So, so you're saying like multiple things. Yeah, I mean, not yeah. like, yeah, like, you know, like I was like, you know, not like on some like, like pest shit, but like I knew if I, if I, just, if I got an interview with a Juicy J, you know what I'm saying? If I wanted to get that shit, like my aim is to get it on blogs to get views and seen and yeah. shit like that. I would, his email would be one of the emails I would send to him. And I remember um, when I first, uh, I started, I, I started coming up to New York more and more um, for Henny Palooza. Mm-hmm. When Henny Palooza was a very organic thing, um, started by my friend Cam McCullough. Uh, I went to, I went to the second ever one. Went to the second one ever, rather. And then I went to the third one. The third one was in like a big brownstone backyard in Harlem. That's when they were actually trying to get like Hennessy to um, put money behind them, correct? In well, I mean, what I've read. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things where it was kind of just like, in a sense, I kind of miss those days. Yeah. And we're, we'll get to that. Like, yeah. just because like, it was very much like a, like a function. It wasn't like party. a party. It yeah. wasn't like, no, can you get me into the door and shit like that? It was very much like, yo, either bring chicken or bring Hennessy. Like or, two things. Or don't come. Or don't come at all. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? And like if, 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 if Cam didn't have your email, you weren't coming. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you know, for the third one or whatever, which was one of the bigger, like at the time, one of the bigger ones, Mecca was there. Um, and you know, at the time, like, you know, he knew or like, you know, it, word had kind of traveled, I guess, who I was. People started knowing who I was, through, like Twitter and shit. And they saw that I would host events. And I remember actually the glasses I have on right now got knocked off in the party. Mm. And I thought they were lost to the world, like oh, smashed wow. up. I'm just like, fuck it. Like, I'm about to be blind out here in New York. Dang. I'm gonna worry about getting glasses when I get home. So like, I was totally not in my right vision at the time. But I remember towards like the end of the party Mecca was about to go on and he's like yo he's like yeah you know, I heard of you yo he's like you know I know you host events like do you want to like host my set and I was just like what like <laughs> hell yeah I host your set like so we're getting ready we're talking about it literally and like we're off to the side we're off to the side and this is you the know, set he's about to do the set he's about to do we're off to the side we're talking and stuff and he's like yo man like yeah I, I definitely know who you are um he's like yo your pop is one of the reasons why I DJ so I'm just like yo like one of the the one half of the my fucking favorite website is telling me he DJs because of my dad. I did some crazy shit. Like, Very dope. And out of nowhere, I see the slowest uppercut. I'm sorry, what? I see the <laughs> slowest uppercut come in between me and Mecca's conversation. Probably the same space that's in between us now. For those of you listening, is not much. It's not much. Two feet, maybe. Yes. A uppercut comes and hits this guy square in the chin. Not Mecca, but some random dude. All I know is something happened. A fight broke out. <laughs> a fight broke out and basically they had to cancel Henny Palooza. Good. So Lord. like, well, not cancel it, but like at that point, like enough Hennessy was drank. It was like, all right, time to shut this down. Time to cut it off. Whatever. So we yeah. actually never got a chance to to do something that day. Oh my goodness. Fast forward to today. That was maybe what, three years ago? Fast forward today. Me and Mech. Mech's probably one of my best friends up here. Um, and me and Mech are two-fourths of a DJ crew known as the Left Coast. Dude, so you know what's crazy about that? I feel like I know some people from Providence who are-, are Shout out to my Providence family. My man, yeah. my man wears nasty. Yeah. The whole, the whole stay silent. Day trill. All that, like they do some really dope stuff out there. We got we got some things planned for, yeah. for the summer with up in up in PVD. I've heard a lot of good things about PVD. Um, 
You know, Jay talks about it all the time. Shout out to Sabrina. Um, shout out my man Hill. Shout out to the whole like Providence thing, man. Like Providence is one of those places that in meeting Jay and Sabrina, especially, like it's opened my eyes to like just a whole other world that I never knew existed. And yeah. I still haven't been there. Like, you know, I'm well, like I'm I'm probably gonna go to Detroit this year. Um, like I said, we have some things that, you know, are kinda in the works now that we're gonna you know, we plan on doing up there, you know, as the left coast. And uh, I'm really excited. Like it definitely seems like a really cool community, like community of folks, like community of creative people and shit like that. Like it's really, really dope. What I love too about especially like this time right now that we're living in is like so providence wasn't necessarily always known as like that type of place like like a lot of the young folks have kind of made different spaces their own and i think mm-hmm. that is so beautiful mm-hmm. homegrown with like frank the butcher mm-hmm. and like you know mm-hmm. we're just taking a lot of different stuff that we love and being like hey like we didn't necessarily see this for sure when we grew up mm-hmm. But we want to create those spaces for somebody else. Exactly. And I mean, I think honestly, I think that's that's definitely the um, I think that's the small town narrative. Absolutely. Like, like. I think the Internet, the Internet has been our generation's biggest gift and curse, where it's like now people because they, you know, if they have like, you know, followers or whatever if they think they have a following they kind of feel that sense of entitlement like yo I should be popping too and what they don't kind of realize is that like people have legit put in work Mm -hmm. to get to where they are like I bust my ass to get up here you know what I'm saying like, and we're talking starting from like, what did we say? 2000 and 2012. So it's four years. Yeah. So it's four years, like four years of like, of like literal work, dealing with personal shit, like just, you know, friendships changed, relationships changed, like, like really put in work to get to a point of where, you know, where I'm at now. Like I, like I used to just think like, yo, where I'm at ain't shit, but I, like, the joy of the joy of getting success is about embracing the journey that you're on. Journey for like, sure, man. For me, like I, 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 I'm when I look back at all I've done, you know, especially you know, even stuff that I did in Philly. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm just like, yo, like, like my my resume is kind of like up there. You know what I'm saying? Like you know, like like I didn't make it by accident, or I, I'm not where I am by accident. When was your first big no? As in you pitched something that you thought would go through <laughs> and it didn't necessarily work out the way that you envisioned it. And then how did you deal with that? Um, I don't know if it was like something that I pitched. I can say it was my first, I can say it was my first like adult speed bump. Okay. Um, I came up to New York. I came up to New York very like spur the moment, like twenty. You know, Roospe did twenty. Uh, Roospe did Made in America twenty thirteen. Um, the advertising, you know, agency translations partnered with Budweiser to bring the festival to life. Um, one of my younger frat brothers, John Petty, uh, got recently got hired by Translation like that earlier that summer, mm-hmm. and you know we're riding around Philly, and he's like, "Yo, man, like you know, there's there's job openness there." At translation And I was like You know doing what He's like as a copywriter And I'm just like bro I don't I don't even know what a copywriter is He's like nah man Like 
yo, you right. I see your tweets. Your tweets be funny and be on point. Like, you could probably get the job. Sometimes you need that push, and though. I was, like, yeah, for real. I didn't know. I was just like, yeah. Like, at the time I was in Philly, like, you know, I was doing my freelance writing. I worked at the Apple store for three years. Um, You know, it's kind of like my day job and stuff. And, like, you know, I, that job kind of went from, like, oh, this is a sweet gig to, like, oh, this is hell. <laughs> um. So, like, he was like, yo, man, just try out. So, like, you know, he, you know, the, the HR girl called me. You know, they asked for some writing samples, sent writing samples in. Like, if I sent it in on Tuesday, they were like, we want you to come in for an interview on Thursday. Like, I remember I called out of work. I played I was sick. I'm sorry, Apple. I lied to y'all. Um, he ain't sorry. <laughs> I'm not sorry. I am not sorry at all. Right. I am not sorry at all. Um, I had an early morning interview at Translate. I came up to New York for an interview. I, I interviewed. I came back. You know, there was a lot of like, like, you know, dead air for a while. And then one day they called me and was just like, yo, they called me on a Thursday. And they were like, yo, we want you to start work tomorrow. Tomorrow translation. At Friday. They was like, we want you to start. And on top of that, um, I have found out that they hired two, they hired me and another girl. Now the girl had previous copywriting experience, but she was moving from LA. So they were only going to keep me around for two weeks. As like a test trial? Like as as like, essentially as like a test trial slash as a temp. Because they knew that they had the girl. They knew the other girl had experience. They were like, we're going to hire him for two weeks. If it doesn't work out, we're going to let him go. So they hired me basically on like a, a freelance almost opportunity. Gotcha. So I got the phone call. Um, I immediately called my, I, I called all three of my parents. Um, and I was just like, yo, like, this is the opportunity. I, I interviewed up in New York. I didn't tell you guys, but this is what happened. You didn't even tell them. I didn't tell because I there they had I had I have had or had had job opportunities before, and I would tell people, and it never worked out, and I end up yeah. feeling like a poopot. Like I almost worked in Urban America, uh, Urban America, Urban Outfitters Corporate. Uh huh. Um, I almost worked for MTV. Um, I almost worked for Karma Loop when they had like their their um like content. I side. remember Karma Loop. Yeah. Like, I had mad ops and like they all fell through and I always felt because I told people that it was supposed to happen and it never happened. So I didn't tell, like, I think the only people who knew were like my girlfriend at the time. Uh-huh. So I called him and like, you know, my dad, you know, my dad and my stepfather, um, both entrepreneurs, they were like, yo, for real, for real, if you're prepared to come back to Philly, if it doesn't work out, go like, don't hesitate. Like I told him, I was like, yo, shit only for two weeks. What do I do? They're like, yo, I mean, are you prepared to like come back to Philly and figure something out if you quit Apple? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, go. I went down to the break room at Apple. I printed up a little exit letter. Uh, funny enough, um, I went to like our store leader who was having like a very heated conversation with his boss at the time. And like, I kind of had to like calm him down. Like, yo, man, like, yo, everything's all right, man. Like, yo, you a good store leader. You just, you just, whatever, whatever. Cool. He's like, yo, man, Corey, I appreciate that, man. He's like, I'm sorry. You want to talk to me? What'd you talk to me about? I was like, (laughs) I quit. (laughs) And he was like, what? This just is not going to work. And I was like, yeah, man, I quit. Like, I just got offered a job in in New York and they want me to start tomorrow. And uh, amazingly enough, the day before I got the offer, I had, um, I, I had like an annual review uh-huh. and in Apple's culture there, there is mandatory to give you an, a bonus, like an increase on your pay. You have to okay, like, Apple. like here's the thing. Mm. So they made me interview. They made me have my review with a manager who was leaving like maybe like two weeks at later. So mm. like she had already put mm. her in two weeks. Mm. 
she gave me a quarter raise like 25 cents added to like my hourly shit i thought she meant a quarter of your salary so so when she said it you meant i was like oh i was like oh shit i'm about to make i think i was making like 16 17 an hour i'm like i'm about to make bank and it was just like nah like like an if it wasn't if it wasn't if it wasn't if it was my rate with my my salary well his name was 16.50 it got raised to 16.75 so I was like, okay, this is some bullshit. So when I told my boss, because I already knew she kind of had it out for me. Well, I told the actual store leader, who was her boss, he he supported me. He knew mm-hmm. that I would like write on the weekends. He knew I would cover festivals and stuff. He gave me a handshake, was like, hey man, go ahead, go get your dream. And I remember I took off my Apple shirt, I signed it, I pinned it up on the wall, and I walked out. <laughs> and I walked out. Wow. Um, and then, you know, I remember I took a, I went home. I remember I washed some clothes to go to work. And I call my my frat brother Rory, um, who actually is on a podcast with with Joe Button and Marissa Mendez. Um, I called Rory. He's like, "Yo, man, like I'm coming up to New York." He's like, "You can stay in my crib." And one night turned into two months. I slept on Rory's couch for two months. Rory, and my man Mike, they were roommates in Jersey City, and um, yeah, that's kind of how I got here. So like, I was working at Translation. Um, I ended up getting my apartment here in Brooklyn, and you know, like. Everything was going good. But what I did not know was how quick the tide can change in advertising. What do you mean by that? So how advertising works essentially is like, you know, like I worked on the on the digital team. So like I handle like all the social media for my account, which was State Farm, State Farm Assurance. Um, so I did like all their like corporate shit. But then mm-hmm. like because I was kind of culturally aware because I had kind of new references. They, they actually allowed me to run the social media accounts for their Cliff Paul campaign. So how like Chris Paul was like the basketball Young player. Cliff Paul. So yes. I, I was Cliff Paul. I was Cliff Paul on all social media. Um, That's major. But it, it was dope for it to be my first copywriting job and first job in the agency. Like it was sick. Um, but how it works is, is that, you know, if they hire new creative directors, those creative directors will make changes. Mm. Swift ones. <laughs> very, very swift ones. So I remember, um, I remember I got a call one day, and this kind of goes back to that speed bump thing. I got a call one day from my mom. It was about maybe eight, nine in the morning. And she told me that I was getting ready to go to work, and she told me that my grandmother had fell into a coma. Mm. So growing up, like I was like, a grandmother and grandfather's boy. Like I used to go to my grandparents' house on the weekends and like they basically helped raise me and shit. Like I love them. And she was like, you know, my grandmother fell into a coma. Um, She had breast cancer and she beat it. Um, And even to this day, I kind of know how it happened and I kind of didn't really want to find out. So she called me and she tells me this at like nine in the morning. I immediately call my boss. I'm like, yo, I'm not coming to work today. I'm going to Philly. I catch a bus. That might have been the fastest I have ever traveled to Philadelphia in my life. Um, if she, if I got to Philly, if I got to Philly at 1130, my grandmother passed at like 1122. Oh, man. So I remember that I remember kind of going like the bus stop that I took wasn't far from the hospital. I remember I ran to the hospital. I like told him my grandmother's name, like, yo, like, where is she in the hospital or whatever like that? And they tell me the room and like, I immediately, like, it was almost like a scene out of a movie. Like I barge in like the ward. I'm like, where's Venus Savage's room? And like, they're like nine something, something. I immediately sprint past like mad doctors and shit to get there. And like, I remember 
I walked in the room and like my grandmother was there, but she just didn't look right. And I remember, um, I remember just kind of coming in and like, like sitting down next to her and I remember I touched her hand and her hand was cold and then she had passed. Yeah. And I just missed her. And I remember my mom called me. She's like, where are you? I was like, and I remember hearing somebody say in the background, like, I think he's in like, her room. So my mom runs down, like she hugs me and stuff. Like basically I, t- I took it very, very, very hard. Um, just cause you know, how that was my dog, man. Like she was like my biggest supporter and everything. Grandparents like, are dope. Grandparents honestly. are amazing. And like, you know, like that, like I, I have been blessed to not really have a lot of death come in my life. So that was okay. probably like my first, like real, like death that happened to me. So mm-hmm. like I called my, call my job, tell them what happened. They're like, yo, don't sweat it. Come back whenever you can. And so on and so forth. Um, I actually remember being offered another job at another agency and I had an interview the day after my grandmother had passed and I called them and like, yo, don't sweat it. Like we're so sorry. Well, not don't sweat it. But like, you know, we're sorry. We'll give our condolences. Yeah, definitely. You know, take all the time you need. Give us a call. You come back to New York. I come back to New York. My second day back in the office, I get laid off. What? <laughs> so like, I remember my, I, I, I basically my grandmother passed away and I got laid off from work in the same like within a, like seven days. So I remember I remember coming into work and I remember like like seeing like like mad white boxes on desks and I was just like like what the fuck is this? like what the fuck is this? So I remember like seeing like I remember like asking like we would have like meetings in the morning and like one of my coworkers came up he was like yeah man like he's like did you know like. I'm making up a name. He's like, did you know like Dave and creative? And I'm like, eh, kind of sort of, I see him around. He's like, yeah, like I saw him in the hallway and like, dude just told me like he got laid off. And I was like, are you kidding? He was like, yeah. And then like the dude who told me that he leaves, he comes back, he gets laid off. Jesus. Then the guy who sit next to me, he gets laid off. And like, these are people that like have been with the agency, like from time, yo, like wow. they, they've been there for a minute. And I'm just like, it was almost some shit like, yo, it ain't safe out here. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember like wildfire. Yeah. And I just remember like, yo, like, you know, is it, is it, is that it? Like who's next and shit? Like, and I remember I went from the floor where my desk was on to like the floor where my supervisor was on. We were about to go to a meeting and I remember one of the creative, one of the new creative directors, and I always found it funny because he never knew my name. Mm. Like I would talk to him, I would say, "What's up to him? Hey, man, what's up?" Like, hey, he would call me like the wrong name and shit before. I mean, let me call me Carl, and I'm Good like, "God, I'm not, I'm not a fucking Carl." Shout out to my man Carl. I have a friend out there in Carl. Shout like, to Carl. I'm like, but I'm not a Carl. No bro. offense. Like you know what I'm saying? And like I remember. I felt somebody tap me on the shoulder and it was him. He was like, Corey, can you step in his office for a second? He knew your name then though. And I, I never forget, like, I remember my partner, she was like, a, um, she was like, did all the graphics to like my copyright and she like fell to her knees. I'm like, no. Oh my God. Like, only like some like crying type <laughs> shit. Like, and I just remember like, I remember kind of like sucking it up and like, I know what's about to happen. Yeah. I come in the office, dude is like, yeah, man. So like, we have to let you go. It wasn't performance based. You know, we're just making some changes with the agency. Like it was like the like basically saying like, yo, you ain't do nothing bad. We're just firing the shit out of you. We're just firing everybody <laughs> and mama. Yeah. And like, you know, it was just one of those things where it's like, you know, we're going to give you your severance pay and, you know, she's going to, you know, the HR girl's going to tell you all the information. All right, man, have a good one and left. So like, I'm like trying to like sit and focus. I'm just like, I'm in a daze at this point because I'm yeah. just like, I just got fucking fired and I live in New York. Like, what am I going to do? And, um, 
you know, it was one of those situations where like, I think I, I, I had been blessed with a family structure that always came through when I needed them. Very dope. But it had, it, this was a time that they couldn't like, you know, it was like financial shit, you know, on their end and stuff. And like, I'm just like, yo, like I got to find a way to like live. Yeah. And I remember this is like my first summer in New York. So I'm just like, yo, I'm about hey. to be mad. Poor. Like, I, I remember like it, it was actually Friday was the anniversary of my grandmother's death. So technically in a couple of days would be like the anniversary of me getting fired. So I remember like in like all of May being like, yo, cause I'm making advertising money. So like I was making, you know, high salaries. So I'm mm-hmm. like, this is the most money I've ever made in my life. Yeah. Like I'm like, yo, I'm about to make mad bread this summer. I'm about to go on a trip. Like I'm about to go different places and shit. And then I lose my job. And I was just like, okay. I was like, I was like, I gotta pay for rent. No, sir, that is terrifying. Nah, that shit was, it, shit, it was crazy. In New York City. It was cr- in New York. I'm just like, okay, I gotta like, <laughs> I gotta pay rent. <laughs> like it went from like, it went from like, yo, I'm going to LA and I'm going to Miami this summer to like, I gotta pay rent. Yeah. And I gotta eat Chinese food. Okay. You know what I'm saying? But it was, it, it was one of those things where like, you know, like it was like more of my first like real adult moments where I had to like figure shit out. I had to deal with like housing issues, like with my crib. Like I didn't have the best roommates when I first moved in here, and like mm. you know, New couple, York is notorious. Like, yeah, it was for that, crazy though. for that shit. Like like a couple of them. Like I remember we went to South by Southwest that year. And, you know, they were from like the Texas area and like, they're like, yeah, man, you know, we're going to like, you know, we're going to kick it and we're going to like kick it out Texas and da, da, da. you get to come to our hood or whatever. Cool. So like we were all in Austin, all partying and living it up. And I remember I went for work and I came, I came back and there was an eviction notice on my door. Well, there's a notice on my door and there was an eviction notice basically saying like you have X amount of days to pay like seven, eight thousand dollars. Don't tell me that <laughs> y'all all went to South by Southwest. All, all I know is because it was essentially I lived with three other people, um, and two of the guys kind of like two of the guys like lived with each other. All three of them knew each other from college, um, but like two of them had kind of lived in one space, and the other guy lived in the other. So I, I went to one of them just being like, "Yo, bro, like, what, like, what is this?" What's and like, the word? And they're like, "Yo, somebody's not paying rent." Didn't say no names. Didn't say which who it was or whatever. I'm just like, well, who isn't paying rent? Because I know my portion of rent has been on time all the time. Exactly. So like, you know, long story short, like, you know, the rent shit came up and like Cass was just like, all right, we out. We, we are bailed. out where? And I'm just like, bro, what, do you, what does that even where mean? Where are you going? I, not Where's even, the money? I, I didn't care about that. I'm like, what does that mean for me? So essentially I had to like come to my lease and my landlord and our, our building managers and just being like, look, this is who I am. This is my job. I, I love it here. I've been paying rent on time. I can show you proof of that. I don't want to leave my crib. And, you know, I mean, it, it all worked out. Like they basically let me take over the lease. I ended up moving, you know, my, my current roommates in here now. Um, one of which I went to middle school with back in Philly. The other is a former coworker of mine, a fraternity brother of mine. So like these are guys who I kind of like knew, like, you know, yeah. I had rapport with and stuff and like shit was cool. But I just remember that summer, like really like struggling. Like I was surviving and eating off of freelance writing checks. Shout so, out to Kaz, man. Kaz put a lot of money in my pocket that summer. Kaz from the stash, you put a lot of money in my pocket that summer that like really floated me. So I was about to ask you, like, like, like how do you... 
how, how did you navigate through that? And then like, what is like a lesson that from that experience, like still resonates with you today? Um, well, I mean, yeah, freelance, freelance writing, like that was, that was like the beginning of can't get no more free Randy. Like all that free writing work was over. Like if I wasn't getting a check from that. For real, for real. Yeah. Like if I wasn't getting a check from it, like I wasn't doing it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, guys like Kaz, you know, at the, at the stashed and you know, my man Kyle, you know, he was at, the, he was a degree at the time. Um, they put, they gave me a lot of different writing opportunities that still put money in my pocket. And, um, you know, I kind of ate off that. And I mean, I guess a lesson that I learned then that I've, I've still kind of deal with now is like have different streams of income. You know what I'm saying? Have many bags to secure. You know what I'm saying? Always secure the bag. Like, you know, if you can find ways to get different checks, do it because it's like, all right, if this kind of slows up, cool. And like, you know, like, you know, I, I managed to float until my time that I got hired at Ebony. Um, I was a social media manager for Ebony Magazine for, you know, a year and some change. And like that, that might have been the job that set me on the track of where I am now, at least as like a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that put <laughs> that put a lot of respect on my name. I actually um, read uh, one of your pieces that I, w- I want to ask you about. Which one was that? The one about your father. <sighs> that was a piece. That was a piece right there. That might be one of my favorite. That might be like the favorite piece I've ever written. I almost cried. And I was like, this is not even my father. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> this is not even my experience yeah. personally. Necessarily like, like with this exact person. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I mean, yeah, like, you know, um, you know, and I, I, I talked about like some of my mentors and stuff earlier. Uh, Kierna Mayo is definitely a mentor of mine. Kierna is, is the EIC at Ebony now. Um, when I first got there, she was the head of digital. Very dope. For Ebony. Um, and like, you know, for me, she definitely kind of allowed me to kind of create my own space there. Um, you know, at the time, Ebony wasn't really covering stuff for the millennial man. So mm-hmm. like, you know, there wasn't really a lot of content of like music or, you know, sports or fashion or culture or whatever. So like, she kind of knew that that was like my wheelhouse and she kind of, she let me cook. And, um, you know, I owe her a lot. Like she showed me like the ropes as far as like writing. She showed me, she gave me constructive criticism as far as like my edits. Um, and she, and, you know, she gave me my first ever like print in book piece, you know, like to, to, to be able to say that I was able to write a piece in a very pivotal issue of Ebony's history, you know, cause Ebony always had the perception of like, it's our, it's our auntie and uncle's magazine. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like you're going to find it in your barbershop. You're going to find it in your, in your, in your, your people's bathroom. Grandma's coffee. Yeah. Table. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that's what the perception was. And I remember, um, Kieran have really did a great job of wanting to change that narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, for her, you know, she was just like, you know, black music month in, of the month of June of 2014. Um, well, well, I guess 2015, actually. Um, she wanted to do something dope. And I remember kind of hearing them talk about it in a, in, a, in a meeting one day over the phone. And I kind of like intruded in and I was just like, yo, like I hear what you guys is talking about. Like you guys need to put Kendrick on, put Kendrick on the cover. I was like, there's no artist right now that that encapsulates what young black America is other than Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, Karen is like Karen is a hip hop OG. Like she came up in the source days, like when the source was like the pinnacle of hip hop journalism. Seriously. And like, you know, for her, she was like, I like this idea. Let's do it. 
And, you know, she made it happen. You know, um, they wrote a great story with him. And I guess as a way to kind of help me out, she was just like, how would you like to write a story about something in this issue? And I remember I wrote about like the 12, you know, myself and along with my man, Aaron, um, we wrote about like the 12 genre bending artists in black music. And like when you and I look at the list now, it's kind of like, yo, like. These are people who now, like a year later, like shine it. Like we've had like Kitchenada in there. We had James Fauntleroy in there. We had uh the Twinsy Bay in there. Um, Rhapsody. Uh Vic Mensa. That's crazy. Um I'm low-key sick because like we were trying to fight for Chance the Rapper and they wouldn't they give us allow. they wouldn't give us the spot. They would not give us the Chance the Rapper spot. We wanted to put Chance on the list, oh, but we man. wouldn't get the spot. I, we would have been profits if we'd have had that spot. Absolutely. Um, but we had like Toro Moy. Oh. Um, we just had like folks in there, man. But like the same the same feeling I felt when I first saw my first byline on vibe.com and kind of seeing it in print and knowing that like people all over the country are going to pick that issue up and see it and see my name. Like mm-hmm. that shit was, it was some powerful shit. And, um, but yeah, she, I mean, she, you know, as far as the piece with my dad, uh, you know, I kind of talking to her about, it, she asked me, I was like, have you ever wanted to write about the relationship between your dad? And I was like, eh, I don't know. And she was like, well, you know, give it some thought. And I remember, um, my dad had asked me, you know, if I'd be willing to come out on a road with him, that trip taught me a lot. And like my, I remember my relationship with my dad wasn't always the easiest and it wasn't always the easiest to understand. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we both did a lot of growing during our like parent, like father son relationship. Like, you know, for him, for him, he did an amazing job of providing for me, especially with the situation with him and my mother not being together. Like, and especially with the situation of, of me having essentially like a stepfather, mm-hmm. like who kind of like, who who was another father figure in my life. He did an amazing job of providing for me. I never had a need. If there was anything that I needed, he provided for it. If it was something I wanted, you know, I'll, you know, provide like best behavior and like grades and stuff like that. Like he, he made it happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, from time, like he, you know, he kind of like, not necessarily, I don't necessarily want to think he, he thought that was it or that would be it, but he didn't quite understand that at an early age, I, I could care less about being good. I just wanted the personal time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to be able to go outside and shoot hoops with my pops. Like I wanted to like go outside and kick it. Like there was times where like, just because of how demanding, you know, the job was, I wouldn't see him for weeks or months. But then, like I said, I know I could always find him at eight o'clock on Monday night on NBC. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And like, I remember telling my roommate, you know, Chris this the other day, there was an episode of the Fresh Prince where my dad got married. I cried like a baby. You cried? I, oh my God. That, <laughs> that episode came on. And like just the mere thought of seeing my father with another woman. Yeah. And like the whole idea of marriage. I did not understand that it was fake. It's tough to understand at that like young age. So I'm just like, what? Like, mommy, you're telling me dad went to L.A. to work. I see he got a whole nother family. I cry. I, like it was a, it got to the point where my mom had to kind of like 
page him and yeah. like beep him to call home and to talk to me and be like, yo, this isn't real. Like this is all a part of, you know, it's a part of the show and stuff like that and whatever. So, I mean, like, you know, it was definitely, and as I got older, you know, as any teenager goes through like growing pains and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. I, you, I felt that clash more and more. Like, I don't think he really understood me. <laughs> You know, I felt as I wasn't really given a chance to understand him. And like, you know, kind of, you know, like we had like our, our peaks and valleys within our relationship. And I can definitely say that as I've gotten older, it's allowed for us to understand each other a lot better. Like, I, like I see myself in him. I see like from like my, my, my demeanor from like different things I do like you know mannerisms and stuff like that like I talk on my hands and like even the way I prompt a story like how I speak about stuff like that like that is him mm-hmm. like when I hear him talk like I realize I talk like he does and I think he sees the same in me where he's like yo like this kid is like me like he's like literally me and I think it was always one of those things where it's like you know they always say like for people who who do things and people who create like there's always one person you want their approval it's always one person that you want like them to say like i'm proud of him like and for for the longest time like you know my dad was that person and um you know as i got older and as i kind of got more established in my career and you know different things like i think like those kind of walls kind of broke down and like I'll say me and my dad now are probably like some of the best of friends. Like I went I went to I went overseas with him um about two months ago. Mm-hmm. Um went to Amsterdam, uh went to Budapest, Hungary, and I went to London. And that's probably one of the best experiences of my life. And that's dope. you know what I'm saying? You know, just kinda just to kind of like obviously seeing the world is was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um but also to kind of see the world how he lives it is was something that I'm just like, yo, allow me another part of him to like see. And I remember, you know, when he asked me to go to that trip to to LA with him last year, I found, I was like, you know what? I think I can write this piece. And I remember I sat in, I sat in my room for about maybe three hours. And, you know, kind of how I write is, you know, like if I know I have, a, if I have a subject to write about or an idea to write about, I basically type the first sentence that comes in my head and I just keep writing mm-hmm. until I just stop. And like the piece you wrote, I remember like, you know, when it went through edits, um, when it through edits, like Kieran told me, I was like, yo, I didn't really have to change anything. Like everything was kind of just like perfect, like how it was. And, you know, like that was a piece that a lot of people kind of, even, you know, those who like know me a little closely or those who, those who have known me, you know, for years and even people who like never really knew who I was or even people who didn't know that I was my father. Cause I'm starting to realize, like, I guess I'm, I'm so used to people kind of knowing like, Oh yes, Jazzy Jefferson. Like there's a lot of people who just knew me as Corey Towns and be like, wait, like your dad is who? Like, so people kind of came back to me and was just like, yo, like this story was crazy. Yo, like I never, I never knew this. Like I never would have thought this and whatever like that. I mean, it was, it was, it was very special for me. It's definitely like my favorite piece I've ever read. Can I read you my favorite part? Sure. Oh, this is dope. This is crazy. This is so dope by the way. Okay. I'm, I'm very nervous right now. Why are you nervous? I don't know. I, I, I've never, okay. So this, this is definitely the first time I've ever had someone read back Your something work? that I've written. Okay. I'm, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. This is the first time I've ever written about this. And as fingers hit computer keys, I realize I've carried this anger around by myself for a long time. When you get older, you'll understand. 
That was a phrase I've heard many times from my father as a kid. I always wondered when that time would come, when I'd finally understand how and why our relationship wasn't the perfect story I always wanted. I feel like somebody should drop like a Jamaican dance hall air horn right now. Like, <laughs> er, 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 er. like that's how I feel. Like this shit, like it's weird. Like I've like that's the first time someone's ever like read back something I've written, like in front of me at least. That's crazy. I mean, that's that's that's, that's also like I, I remember the mindset I was I was in when I when I when I when I wrote that. And I mean, it was true. Like. I never really realized until sitting down and really reading it or really writing it and reading it after like how angry I kind of was at, at certain things, you know, and not necessarily angry at him, but just like more so angry at like a, like a, like the situation and angry at kind of how things, you know, were, you know, or how angry I was at certain you know points in my life. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, you know, like I said, you know, it's one of those things where it was definitely a, fingers were just touching my MacBook keyboard and you know that just came out thank you so much thank like, you for having me this, this was honestly so 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 dope this is dope thank you for having me so much this the idea of this is is incredible um, I appreciate that you know we already spoke about it earlier the name is the name is tight um, I definitely encourage a lot of you know a lot of my peers and you know colleagues to like really like sit down and like kind of do this because I mean one thing I've kind of realized just even through doing it mm-hmm. is um, it allows reflection. It really and I, does. I don't think I don't think like like I think nowadays because we're so we're so geared towards looking forward of like what's next for us. Like what's next in my career? What's what's the next, you know, what's the next check I'm gonna get? Mm-hmm. What's the next project I'm gonna work on? Like we're so we're so entrapped by that in that rat race that we never really bother to look back at where we've been. And like, you know, even just kind of telling the story of, you know, me coming to New York or like how I got here, the the shit I had to deal with and the shit I went through while living here. Like it was is, you know, it ain't it ain't something we think about often. So yeah. I mean, like, I, I definitely, I definitely recommend everybody, man. You guys gotta come on this show, man. You gotta come on this podcast, and you know what I'm saying. You've you've been a, a great, just like moderator, like allowed, like allowed me to just express myself. Know what I, mean? <laughs> With I appreciate you, man. For sure. For sure. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today, y'all. Shout out to Creator Kay and Andrea for our logos. Production and editing on today's episode were both done by myself. Major thank yous to those who have completed the survey and have shared it. We really, really appreciate your support and your love. If you haven't yet done so, um, please make sure to get the link in the show notes or via our Instagram and our Twitter this support will really help to continue the show and we just thank you uh so much in advance for taking care of that once again you can see visuals you can see episodes and other information about first year project on firstyearproject.com once again firstyearproject.com we'll see you next week guys peace